Here's an excerpt from an article written by our next guest. Until very recently, crypto exchanges were all the rage. They had A-list celebrity spokespeople, stadium naming rights, and public endorsements by major politicians. Crypto exchange companies market themselves as platforms for users to buy and sell crypto. But they also function like stockbrokers. And more concerningly, their core business models quite closely resemble banking. This article is at theconversation.com. It's entitled, Crypto Platforms Say They're Exchanges, But They're More Like Banks. The author of this piece is a PhD candidate from the University of Toronto, William O'Connell, joining us to talk more about crypto platforms. Mr. O'Connell, William, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Sterling. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's great to have you with us. It's a terrific article, but uh, for those uh, who are... Well, it's early in the morning here, William, so uh, just yeah. give us give us a, the, 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 the thumbnail sketch, if you will, on crypto and why all of a sudden it has lost so much popularity to say nothing of value. Right. So there was a lot of hype about cryptocurrency um, beginning, you know, it's kind of come in waves, but uh, particularly in 2021, there was a lot of hype and uh, a huge spike in the price of Bitcoin, Ethereum, some other major cryptocurrencies. As, uh, you know, started to be more news articles about this, and everyday people started to jump on the bandwagon, hoping to uh, to make a bit of extra money. The problem is that there isn't really a whole lot of inherent value in cryptocurrency. There's not a whole lot of places where you can actually use cryptocurrency to buy and sell things. It's essentially purely speculative at this point. Right. So there's a bit of a bubble. Price crashed. Price of Bitcoin has, has collapsed quite a bit in the last uh, three or four months to other cryptocurrencies. And the result is that some high-profile exchange platforms, um, Celsius Network, Voyager Digital, um, have gone bankrupt. And what we're now learning um, in the wake of these bankruptcies is that many of these companies took customer money, pulled it together, and used it to make massive, very, very risky loans to other cryptocurrency firms. Oh. And the result is that their customers are now learning that their money was not, in fact, held separately in safe or secure accounts. It was, in fact, loans they were providing to these companies, and now they're on the hook for the loan. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of what you've just told us, William, is going to validate a lot of people's apprehensions about crypto. It sort of boils down in the minds of many, certainly not all, but in the minds of many, uh, to, it's kind of a Wild West show. It's kind of a, you know, every man for himself and, you know, you go for it and you, 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 it's, it really is an unregulated area of the economy, unlike banks and others which have deposit insurance and, and regulatory supervisory agencies is it as wild as wild uh, west show as uh, some people think it is yeah absolutely so part of the reason is the anonymity within crypto markets makes it very difficult to verify who actually owns which accounts at any one point in time okay it also creates an issue for regulators where it's not necessarily clear where particular assets are located so many of these exchanges for example are might be incorporated in one particular state in the U.S., but many of their users might be using it from all across the world. And this makes it very difficult for regulators to do their jobs. Um, another issue is that many of these companies will do some of their accounting in cryptocurrencies, which are quite volatile, mm-hmm. and make it very, very difficult for users or investors to actually verify how much money any of these companies have at any one particular point in time. Um, so there are some minimal regulations in the market, but um, 
the nature and the anonymity of, uh, of blockchain technology makes it very, very difficult for traditional regulators to regulate them in the way that they regulate uh, regular financial companies. Sure. And that's, of course, what's making millions of potential customers just stay away because it's just too unnerving for them. But your, 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 the title of your article, William, is Crypto Platforms Say They're Exchanges, But They're More Like Banks. How so? Yeah, so many of these um, many of these companies, Celsius, um, Voyager Digital, they marketed themselves as places where its users could sign up for an account, deposit their own, you know, Canadian dollars, U.S. dollars, and use it to buy and sell cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and other sort of related assets. Okay. And the way these apps appeared is similar to other types of stockbroking apps, so things like TD Ameritrade. The difference, though, is that for those types of brokers, you know, Ameritrade, Wealthsimple, your money is held in a separate account. And if the firm, the brokerage firm, goes bankrupt, you are the legal owner of those assets. And, you know, you simply transfer your account to a different broker. Okay. But with these crypto exchanges, um, if you actually read the terms and conditions, they clarify that your money is not being held in a separate account under your name. It's, in fact, being held in what's called a custody wallet. And those companies claim that they're pooling these custody wallets together. So if you go to withdraw your money, they will pay you out of the pool. But much like banks, when you deposit your money in a bank, it goes into a pool and, you know, you get paid out from the pool when you withdraw cash. Sure. But your bank makes the assumption that not everybody is going to pull their money out at any one particular point in time, um, which is why we have deposit insurance. Everybody goes to the bank, pulls their money out, then the bank goes bankrupt. So when crypto prices crashed, many users tried to pull their money out of, uh, of these exchanges. Of course. The assumption that their money was being held in their own accounts. What they found out was that these companies were not holding a sufficient amount of assets in order to actually pay out all of their customers at any one time. So they start getting a large volume of withdrawals. They have to suspend withdrawals and eventually declare bankruptcy, much like a traditional you know, 1930s style bank run. Interesting stuff. So you propose the future of decentralized finance, and you talk about um, the the uh, uh, the possibility of a greater regulation. You're a political science PhD student. You're, you're focusing in on the politics of finance and financial policy making. So what's the recommendation? Bottom line for you, if you if you had a moment with the finance department and and could establish a parameter or two, what would you do? Well, I think there's two important regulations. So one of them is that crypto exchanges, I think, need to be regulated very clearly as stockbrokers. Okay. They need to be regulated much the same way that Wealthsimple, TD Ameritrade, or some of the other familiar companies we have. And what that means is that they need to clearly state that they keep customer assets in separate, separated accounts that are legally under the property of those clients so that in the event these exchanges go bankrupt, those customers' assets are safe and they can be transferred to a different exchange platform. So that's the one thing. The other thing is that many crypto assets um, in Canada and the United States are treated as commodities, so similar to trading gold or oil. And there are far fewer regulations around commodities trading than securities trading, so things like stocks. Um, So designating crypto assets as similar to holding shares in a company I think would be quite helpful as there are much more rigorous reporting requirements. Publicly traded companies have to give standardized reporting on their assets, their liabilities. And I think that that designation would ensure that there's a lot more information available to the public to make informed decisions. 
Ah, so uh, what do you sense as an appetite by the policy on the part of the policymakers to move uh, on any of these? Um, I think there is a sense. It's incredibly complicated, as I said, because of all the kind of movement across jurisdictions, and especially in Canada, because we don't have one securities regulator. Each province has its own separate securities agency, and there's been some difficulty trying to coordinate things across provincial borders. Um, but there is certainly appetite. I mean, um, from my understanding, from talking to people in regulatory circles, there's a lot of appetite for bringing these uh, these exchanges and these assets under regulation. It's just not entirely clear uh, how that will be done at this particular point in time and whether that will require a, a larger degree of international cooperation than maybe other areas of, of financial services. Okay. Uh, William, do you think, final questions, you know, we're grateful for your, for your time on the weekend. Uh, do you sense any uh, possibility that this could elevate to, to the point of some kind of election issue? Uh, Mr. Poilier, for example, is, has been known to promote uh, uh, cryptocurrencies in some of his speeches uh, and has received more than a little flack for it. Uh, what about this in terms of moving... Uh, or at least the, a popular movement towards more regulation, demand by the voters. Yeah, well, I think it's quite telling that uh, Mr. Polyev hasn't, uh, hasn't mentioned cryptocurrency in the last few months. It's true. Um, now that uh, now the prices have been declining quite a bit. Uh, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, um, this is still a relatively niche issue. There are, is a lot of money going around. A lot of everyday people have, have lost quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, but it's by no means a large slice of the Canadian population that's, uh, that's heavily involved here. So I'm not sure how much demand there will be for for regulation um, from individual um, individual people, but I do know that the Bank of Canada is experimenting with the possibility of of digital currencies, looking into some of this regulation. And I think if there are any more high profile bankruptcies or anything of that nature, then we might uh, we might start to see more serious calls from the public. Out of necessity, if nothing else. Yeah, crypto platforms say they're exchanges, but they're more like banks. It's a really good read at theconversation.com, written by our guest William O'Connell from the University of Toronto. William, thanks so much for this great article. We do appreciate your time, too. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sterling. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.